HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. It's Thursday, and once again, you have tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report, and I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. And today we are um, joined in the studio by some very special guests um, to talk about agriculture and food production in Chile. So I wanted to introduce uh, Felix de Vicente and Blas Tomic, and maybe we can start with um, a little bit of introduction to, to what your role is uh for Chile, and then we'll kind of jump into a little bit of history um, and kind of grow our understanding of agriculture in Chile. So, uh, Felix, maybe we'll start with you. What is what is what is your title, and what brings you to the U.S.? Okay, thank you very much for inviting us today. Uh, I'm my name is Felix de Vicente. I'm in charge of ProChile. ProChile it's it's the institution that help to introduce our products, our services and help everyone to are looking to have some commercial relation with our country. We have 54 offices around the world, and one of our most important products that we sold to the, to the world is food. And that's the reason that we are coming today to start today night. We're going to make 15 events in five cities in the United States to introduce a new launch that I want to give the option to Blast to talk about this new launch that we're going to do tonight. Wonderful. Well, then, Blast, why don't you jump in? Thank you. I am in charge of an institution called the Image of Chile. It's a foundation, non-governmental foundation, but at the same time financed with public funds, and we are in charge of, first of all, understanding the image of our country around the world, what do people perceive that Chile is, a Chilean is, and then uh, reinforcing the best aspects of that image abroad in order to promote the interests of the country, the long-term interests of the country. 
So you're on a show called The Farm Report right now. So I would love to kind of get a sense of what is the agriculture landscape in Chile. Can you tell us a little bit about the climate and the soil and some of the primary products that um, would be identified as Chilean? We, we, we have a Mediterranean weather. We, in the north, we have the driest desert in, in the world called Atacama, where was the miners trapped two years ago. And in the south, we have the rainforest and the Antarctic South Polo. So in the middle of this long country, we have a Mediterranean weather that it's a very sanitary island that we could be very safe in in different diseases that other parts of the world could have because we have the Andes Mountains in the west and the Pacific Ocean in the in the east. So we have a Mediterranean weather where with many different valleys where we could produce fresh fruits and fruits that have a very special quality about numbers like antioxidants and many other important points that we're studying for give the real information about the values of the good qualities that the fruit produced in Chile have in 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 a big big uh, option of fruit that you have from different parts of the world. So we have a Mediterranean weather with a very dry weather in the north and very um, rainy weather in the south. Yeah, I mean, you look at Chile on the map and it's kind of this very long, thin country. So I imagine that like, if you were to travel from end to end, you would feel like you were passing through a variety of, of climates and, and things might look quite different from, from the north to the south. Yeah, let, let me ask you, now I am talking again from the perspective of the image of Chile. I've always said that probably the most uh, well-known icon identifying Chile anywhere in the world is its shape. Uh, is that true? I mean, is it true that any person who has gone through school anywhere in the world will at one point have said, what a weird shape of a country this is? I mean, and it's therefore should be easy to associate the shape of our country which, by the way, we are using in, in the launching of this Foods from Chile Source of Life campaign. Uh, is that true? Does it happen to you? Well, I think when you're a, a young child in geography and you're looking at the map of the world or even the map of the U.S., that anything with a funny or unique shape is just easier to remember. So I think in many, for many people, that might be kind of the first interaction they had um, with the country is being able to easily identify it when you're doing a, an exam in, in grade school and you're like, oh, I know this one because it's like exactly. the long, skinny. Like in the U.S., it's easy for people to identify Florida or Michigan because they, they stick out. Um, and then I think for me, you know, As as I've kind of engaged in food and agriculture, um, you know, Chile is uh, a country that comes up often and is, you know, lumped together in these other categories of um, people that we import from. In particular, I think here in the Northeast, because uh, we are operating on different climates, you know, your, your growing season is opposite our growing season, that that 
um, I think a lot of my listeners um, are familiar with seeing Chilean berries or, or vegetables, avocados in the grocery stores um, in the winter. And I think that um, what I would like to talk about a little bit today is, you know, we uh, here at Heritage Radio Network, um, we talk a lot about the importance of eating regionally, eating locally, eating seasonally. And I'm curious, you know, how you would, you know, where, where chili might fit in, into that, you know, when we're looking at issues of, of sustainability or, or uh, carbon footprint, um, what do we need to be thinking about and, and how would you kind of respond to, to those kind of questions? Uh, if I may, Felix, uh, start with that. You know, the only things that we know that if you're going to bring some fruit to the east coast from the west coast, you um, have a lower footprint if you bring it from Chile because the ocean freight is very low cost in, in the carbon footprints uh, against the truck freight. So if we're looking to, to have uh, thinking in renewable, take care about our wall, probably for fruits it's not, you know, it's not a good way to supply the east coast from Chile. And the other point that it's important is that we're in another hemisphere. So when you're in winter, the only way if you want to keep a fruit fresh, not long time refrigerate, you should buy it from a country that have summertime when you're in winter. So we talking about that point probably we're a very good option. Yeah. I, I would add something that uh, maybe it is even more fundamental. The Chilean, the variety of climates that you were mentioning before, the geography, the geography of Chile, it means that this long, skinny country that you were describing is for all practical purposes an island. We are completely separated from the rest of America, if you want, by the long Andes on one side, the desert in the north, the glaciers in the south, the ocean on the other side. So uh, it's a very unique, a very unique environment where we not only can produce in your counter season, as you said as well, but also in very special circumstances. Um, the, the, that, that isolation allows Chile to produce foods, for example, that are practically completely free of plagues and diseases that you will find anywhere else. Uh, add to that that this country has been making huge progresses in terms of regulatory environment, technology, incorporation. Uh, if you travel to Chile, you will see that in every airplane and in every, every entrance to the country, there's a very strict uh, control of anything that might bring into Chile diseases. We're very proud of having freed our country from all of that a long time ago. Um, it's, it's, it, it, what we are producing there is not just nourishing and food stuff that will take advantage of the other season. It is extraordinary quality. It, it, it takes care of what here in the U.S., and that's why we are here, has become a demand, the demand of sophistication, of uh, what we call provenance. You know, your consumers here in the U.S. pay attention to where things are coming from, how they were produced, what do they add to just the standard thing. And in Chile, we think we have a lot to show about that. 
Um, so I'm, I'm curious, can you maybe tell us a little bit about the average Chilean farm or, or farmer? I mean, in the U.S., it's interesting because we're such a large country that depending on where you are, if you're in Nebraska, the average farm size is 400 acres. And if you're in New York, the average farm size is 200 acres. And and the average age of farmers here is 65. And, you know, we have kind of the predominant crops that we produce and and kind of the people enter the market in different ways, whether it's a farmer's market or going on to a commodity market. What what does it look like in Chile? I mean, how large are the farms? How diverse are they? And then how do um, how do farmers kind of enter the market in, in different ways? You know, if they wanted to do something for export versus if they're selling, you know, to the local market, how is that different? Or do most farmers do both? That's like eight questions, so... <laughs> Take whichever one seems easiest. Okay. Well, uh, Chile has been evolving very fast during the last, let's say, 50 years. You know, we have, we are right now uh, entering what we call the developed stage of, of a country, economy, and society. We are just entering that. Um, so the structure of our agricultural sector has also been changing very dramatically during the last few decades. Um, the modernization of our agriculture began, I would say, 30, 40 years ago, very, very seriously. That began with the change in the structure of property, the sizes of the farms and, and so on. Um, and the incorporation of technology and the globalization process which put the whole Chilean economy, not just the agricultural sector, in contact with the demands of the world. Um, and uh, this is where ProChile, the, the organization that Felix leads, comes very relevantly into the picture. They have helped these new uh, entrepreneurs of all kinds because Chile has Chile is today the most open economy in the world in terms of the proportion of our domestic product that is represented by exports and imports. We are extremely open. We have free trade agreements with something like 60 countries in the world, the first one with the U.S. Uh, and so ProChile, this organization by Felix, has been extremely helpful, I would say, decisive, for all this new layer of e entrepreneurs dash exporters to succeed. I don't know, Felix, you know much more uh, about that. You know, we have a Ministry of Agriculture where they know all these numbers that you are asking, but if we think in the fruit producer, we have 14,000 fruit producers. They have in an average about 14 hectares. I don't know how much means in acres, but probably it's ab around... 42 no, uh, it's, acres. It's the double, t 30. 30. 30 acres. It's the average of the fruit producers. And all the small farmers, were, they, they usually produce for local. And we have many, many people there. We have people working in agriculture, more than 1,200,000 people. We are a country that have a population of 17 million people. So a very high percentage of the yeah. population works in agriculture. You know, uh, you have three countries in the world that more than 10% of the GDP belongs to the agriculture. Our food industry, it's 
New Zealand, Belgium, and Chile. So Chile, at, at this moment, we are the 20th exporter of, of, of fruits in, in the world, and we're working very hard to be in the top 15 for year two, 2020. But for the kind of foods that uh, we are best known here in the U.S., we are in, in most categories first or second in terms of exporting these things in the world. So in other words, there are no countries that export more than we do in several kinds of berries, uh, seafood, and so on. And exports directly to the U.S., we are, uh, in, in many cases, the main provider of imported quality food to the U.S., particularly to the East Coast of the U.S. Interesting. So we're going to move to a short break, and when we come back, um, I want to talk a little bit about salmon, and um, we'll continue from there. You're listening to Kursk by Controller on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. All right, we are back. You've tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report, and I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks, and we are learning all about Chilean agriculture. So one of the products I think people really identify with chili is salmon, and I, I was interested to learn that salmon is not ne not native to Chile. Is that? Yes, it's not not the the, the first producer used to be uh, Norway, and then the second one used to be Canada, and Chile started learning 
with a foundation that belonged from found from the United States about working about what we could produce in our cold waters. We have more than 3,000 miles of coast in Chile. And in year 2000, in 1980s, we start producing salmon for first time. So I, you know, you do salmon, and I think trout is another, and then yes, some shellfish as same, well, right? Yeah, it's a, in in farms that we we have starting in lakes, and now they are doing in in most of them in in the coast, in the ocean, and now we're the second world producer of salmon. Truth. Yeah, um, we Felix just said we have three thousand miles of coast. That's true if you just draw a straight line from the north to the south. But if you think about the the coastline as such, we have like forty thousand miles of coast. So we have plenty of locations where these uh, fish farms can be placed. And by the way, um, the sanitary regulation that has that that is in place for all that is world class we went through a difficult period like five ten years ago with a disease that came from norway uh, where they had the, which was an industry salmon industry we were importing certain technology from and unfortunately this came through the filters uh, we eradicated it, and now the the sanitary regulation and the technological precautions that have been incorporated are, as I say, top in the world. And what, what about with regards to kind of environmental concerns? Because I know a lot of consumers, in particular when they're looking at fish and farm fish, um, that, that's a primary concern is what is the long-term impact having on the coastlines of a country like Chile, uh, but then also the local fishermen, and, and I'm just curious if you could speak to that at all. Both things, both things have, are a concern, I mean, uh, definitely. Uh, a concern that is being addressed. Uh, it's not just that it's a pity and we have an environmental cost, but we need... No, that's not the way things are being done there. Uh, right now, there is a fisheries law that is just ending its passage through Congress, where uh, there is a, has been negotiated a very delicate conciliation between the local fishermen, that there is a lot in Chile, and this more modern, large-scale industries like salmon or other fisheries that operate in Chile, that I believe qualifies as a very successful consensual solution to this conflict that exists always anywhere between those two categories of fisheries. Um, and in terms of the environmental protection, there again, we, are, we, we have adopted all the international standards which, to which we are obliged, by the way, through our free trade agreements, both the U.S. and Europe. Uh, so the standards that are being applied in Chile are not ones that uh, allow us to take advantage because we are less controlled or less sophisticated and therefore we do things in a more uh, polluting manner. No, we do it according to the highest standards in the world and we are proud of doing that. It's not something we do uh, sacrificing ourselves. We think that's the right way of doing it. Um, is Chilean sea bass from Chile? 
And, well, <laughs> it's yes. kind of a trick. You know, <laughs> you know it, uh, they capture in a very deep ocean in the south of Chile. And I remember a friend of, from Spain that he came to Chile and he said, I want to eat Chilean sea bass. I say, we don't have. We send all of the Chilean sea bass to United States. So we have to talk to a fisherman that I know him to bring one piece and keep it for my friend from Spain because all of the Chilean sea bass come here to the United States. You know, the, I am not... Um I am not a gourmet myself. I like very good food, but so I, I am not absolutely certain what I'm going to say. But by now, I am almost sure that the name Chilean sea bass is applied to different kinds of fish in different places. And I, I get pretty confused when I see that in the menu because I order it, especially when I'm abroad, and I get different kind of fish. Uh, I, it's always good fish, so I have no problem with that name. But uh, there are there are different kinds of fish that bear that name. Yeah, that, I mean that's been been my experience as well. So I'm curious, how do can you tell talk a little bit about how American consumers and and their demands for Chilean products differ from some of the other countries that um, you export to? We. We're going to open, I think we have already have a, a web page where we have all the scientific information about the fruits produced from Chile. Chile is the number one exporter of grapes, number one of blueberries, second in apple. So we have many different fruit products that we have very good numbers in antioxidants num uh, rates of these products. And... The problem that we have and the reason of this campaign is to to l help people to understand the fruits and the different products that Chile produce. Because when you go to a restaurant and try a salmon piece or different fruit, it's not possible to know where they come. Because if you take the wine, you have the bottle or you have the label and you can see where it's coming. The studies that we have, 30% of the, the decision to make wh which thing you want to buy, you want to have, belongs to the region, provenance. So the reason of this campaign to try to help people to ask and know more about where are these products, fruits, seafood are coming. Yeah, I'll I'll add to that. I hope I don't sound chauvinistic, but, uh, for example, I, I love avocados, and I get avocados wherever I go, for salads or uh, toast with avocados, a delicious thing. The taste that you get from a Chilean avocado is incomparable. I, it's sometimes you, you even wonder why are the two fruits called the same. And I believe the reason, I know there are studies that say this, is not just my own ignorant belief. The reason for that, for example, and I think I, should make the, I could make the same comment about many of the products we're talking about here, berries and, and fruits and so on, it has to do, first of all, with, the, with our climate. We have a climate that in, in the central part of our country resembles very much that of California. 
uh, we get from the Pacific Ocean, there is a cold ocean, the Humboldt current. current. It's a cold current that produces a very substantial effect of, on our weather, just like in California, where you also have cold currents in front of the coast. We have mountains more or less at the same distance of the coast. Um, the, w the wind blows more or less in the same direction. We have more or less the same uh, number of sunny days during the year, etc. Well, that produces a ripening process for the avocado, about which I'm talking now. And um, it produces a change in thermal conditions between day and night, between seasons, that generates this wonderful taste in the avocado. You, you can have avocado trees in many parts of the world, but this is what produces good taste or ordinary taste. And in Chile, that applies to avocado and to all these berries that are there, not just because of the counter season, like I said before, but because the conditions, both natural conditions as well as the conditions that we have been able to incorporate through the development of our infrastructure, of our technology, of the education of our people, which have been making huge progress recently, all of that explains that objectively, it's not just my wishful thinking, objectively, what you find inside this food product of Chile is better. Yeah, I think you're, I mean, just referring to kind of the, the terroir of the product, and I think it would be kind of a fun exercise to get a collection of avocados from across the world and do a little bit of a comparison tasting just to see what attributes stand out from, from different locations. Um, you know, one of the things American consumers um, are starting to have a rising concern about is the presence or absence of genetically modified organisms or, you know, genetic, en genetic engineering in their food. And does the Chilean government have a position on GE foods or GE labeling? Yes. You know, we... We can produce food for for sale inside the country um, with this characteristic. The only thing that we are doing, we receive seeds from different big companies around the world. We rep reproduce these seeds, and all these seeds send it around the world. But all we we are not selling inside the country. In other words. We don't, we don't export anything, any of these natural products we're talking about has genetic engineering incorporated into them at all. What Felix is saying is, is something that is just a pass-through. Companies, certain companies in Chile reproduce seeds that they have, they have genetically engineered abroad and they go back abroad for those companies. But that doesn't count at all in this uh, field of Chilean food exports we're talking about here. No, I mean, one of the things from the, some of the material you guys sent over was the, a lot of talk around traceability and kind of being able to have a clear line as an American consumer understanding where this particular avocado or carton of berries had come from and what its journey had been. So, I mean, how do you look to ensure those traceability lines? If I wanted to kind of know more, if I wanted to follow the avocado back to Chile, it, how would I do that? Every pallet of any Chilean food exports, and you know what a pallet is, is the, the wooden base on which they are loaded onto trucks and then ships. Every pallet has a, a, this a barcode that allows to identify 
every detail of that food that is on top of that pallet. That means where was it produced, when was it produced, uh, how was it transported to where it fi its final destination, Harvest et day, the harvest day. Oh, wow. Uh, everything. Every detail is behind that coat. And what about... Um, uh, you know, meeting U.S. Uh, DA organic certification. Do you do exporting of organic produce as well? Yes, the market is not too big. It's, it's less than five percent, but we have an um, association that, and we help us uh, Pro Chile, and we're most of these export. Most of them, they are going to Europe more than United States. And I'm curious, you know, so far we've talked a lot about, um, you know, fresh produce, but I'm wondering about value-added products um, you, where you, you know, uh, fillets of fish or um, flash-frozen fruits or vegetables or cut or processed in some way. I mean, is there that type of um, secondary infrastructure in the country right now, or is it primarily the exporting of the whole foods? We that is certainly a direction in which we want to advance. We as a country, um, I said before, we are entering the category of countries that are developed. We form part of the OECD, the 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 more developed countries in the world, uh, and we need in order to sustain this process, we need to add value or knowledge, if you want. We don't want to remain forever an exporter of primary products or just half-elaborated primary products. So yes, we have made we are making a lot of effort in in into the incorporation of all these more sophisticated layers of value that should accompany our exports. That's interesting. You provide a whole new category of employment too, then for Chileans, which 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 goes hand in hand with our. Uh, educational challenges. We are, like everywhere in the world, but our own uh, consists of uh, generating a new layer, which we are doing, I would say, during the last 10 years, the increase in our educational and technical layer of uh, the schooling and university system has been incredible. So, yeah, both things have to go hand in hand. Exactly. So we're about out of time, but I was hoping uh, maybe before we finish up that you could share with us um, maybe a, a, a description or a memory from each of you of, you know, for someone who hasn't traveled to Chile or isn't super familiar, I mean, is there kind of a, a national dish or selection of dishes or something that, um, you know, we should be, uh, well, that we'd be excited to, to explore and that maybe we could cook here with some Chilean produce or... Um, salmon or some of the other products from Chile? Well, the, the, I, let me tell you, I am, I am married to an American woman. Lucky. <laughs> Lucky, both of us. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, she has discovered some of those Chilean dishes which she loves. One of them is... An empanada. Do you, have you ever heard that? Does that word exist here? Yep. Do you know what it means? Yeah, and I mean, kind of like a like a pa like a pastry, like a savory pastry. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it the the Chilean the Chilean empanada is a pastry. Not doesn't have any sugar associated to it. It's uh, it's made of uh, dough mm -hmm. dough, 
uh, inside with with uh, minced meat prepared with a little bit of onion and some spices. It, it's a simple dish, but one we Chileans are very proud of, and you will never m go to a barbecue where there won't be empanadas, for example. I, I, it's one of my favorites, which I mentioned, Lovely. and my wife's as well. What about you, Felix? In, in Chile, we have many of new chefs coming up, emerging from, from our country. We have a young chef now. It's in L.A. for this lunch. And he he has a restaurant called Borago. He he cook with endemic products from the south of Chile. He recollect each product from the forest in the south. And now his re restaurant it's in the Pellegrino list. It's uh, the only one in America, and it's place seventy, I think. And so we are emerging with a new cuisine, and we have the traditional dishes like blasted the empanadas, pastel de choclo, and different kind of soups. We have a lot, a large variety of sandwich, too. Mm -hmm. So I think the best way is to visit our country. We, we are a country that usually the picture is similar to what you are going to see there. We are a very safe country, and we have wonderful landscape for, for visiting. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. And um, I look forward to kind of exploring some Chilean dishes with you, I think, later this evening. That's right. So you have listened to another episode of The Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. If you missed us live, all of our programs are archived on our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. Um, you can also find us on iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio. Uh, we are a member-supported organization, so if you like what you hear, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member today. Tune in next week for another episode of The Farm Report. Thanks so much. For listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. What's hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Grow NYC Market Update. I'm Jack Inslee filling in for Aaron Fairbanks. And today we are on the line with Gene Hodish. Gene, how are you? 
I'm good. How are you, Jack? I'm doing well. So what's up with the market right now? It's getting cold. What do you guys got going it's on over there? It's getting cold. Farmers are trying out their heaters, but they will be at markets all winter long. Um, you can check our website for some of our, our seasonal markets start to close down right before Thanksgiving. But we do have about 23 markets that stay open year-round. So um, I encourage people to, uh, to check and see which markets are open close to them. But um, I've been thinking about what to cook for different holiday parties. And one of my favorite things about this time of year is going to latka parties. And I always offer to bring the applesauce. Um, so if I'm going to make applesauce, uh, what's great is that pink lady apples have just come into season, and they have these beautiful pink striations in their in their fruit. So when you make it into applesauce, the applesauce turns this gorgeous, like, ruby pink color. They're really fun. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is that our holiday recipe packets are out there at markets. And over Thanksgiving, I definitely picked it up and used some of the recipes to cook for my family. So there's a particularly terrific recipe for uh, roasted radicchio with blue cheese and balsamic maple uh, reduction. That was amazing. And there's also a great recipe for um, pumpkin pie made from the whole pumpkin. So I think that even though Thanksgiving is past, plenty of other holidays are right around the corner. I encourage people to go out and pick up a recipe packet, and there are all kinds of good tips on, on what to cook with what's in season at the market right now. Um, another product that I wanted to mention is a very exciting new addition. Best Farm Kitchen is making mustard now. Um, and she has three different kinds. She has a deli style, a whole grain mustard, and also a garlic rosemary mustard. And they're made with mustard seeds grown by Cayuga Pure Organics. Um, and so far as we know, it's the first mustard being made with local mustard seeds in the Northeast. So wow. I'm really excited to offer that. And it is also terrific on a uh, leftover turkey sandwich or any <laughs> other leftovers you might have kicking around after Thanksgiving and um, for your upcoming holiday feast. Great. That all sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So I guess another thing I've been thinking about lately uh, in the cold weather, something that's really delicious that people often overlook in markets, but I would say make sure not to miss, is cabbage. Um, so there are different types, but I really like uh, braised purple cabbage is really good with winter roast. And then also stuffed cabbage is great. And I've been thinking lately about sauerkraut. I was just visiting my family in the Midwest for Thanksgiving and admiring people's sauerkraut crocks, which I was at the Brooklyn Kitchen last night, and they have a really nice selection and also nice wooden mandolins so you can shave your cabbage really thin and pickle it to make sauerkraut, which will last and, and kind of spice up all kinds of winter dishes in the months ahead. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Um, and what about what about Christmas trees? I was thinking about that. Any? Yeah. So Christmas trees are going to be coming to market soon. You'll start seeing them out there. Um, we have Trumansburg Tree Farm. They come to a couple of our markets, Union Square and Grand Army particularly, and they bring down beautiful Christmas trees. And then also Keith's Farm at Union Square always has a couple scrawny little, they call them Charlie Brown Christmas trees. <laughs> and they're actually organic trees. And um, if you want to go that far, <laughs> they're the tops cut off of his few Christmas trees. So they're very cute. And uh, he's got them this month, but the supply is very limited. So if that's what you're going for, I suggest you get there sooner than later. Um, then we have a number of vendors who sell Christmas wreaths. And then also our flower vendors at this time of year are selling dried flower wreaths that are beautiful if you want to give sort of a longer-lasting gift to somebody. Um, and then uh, there are all kinds of holly and, and sort of different berries, decorations for the home sort of available in the markets. Very cool. 
Yeah, and while you're out there, I would suggest people are always calling me this time of year asking what kinds of gifts they can buy in the market. So I like to think of putting maple candy in stockings for stocking stuffers, personally what I would want in my stocking. Um, And then there are plenty of jams and chutneys. There's local honey and beeswax candles. Uh, There are amaryllis bulbs. There's wool yarn that's for sale. And I've even seen, we have this ostrich vendor. um, And (laughs) you can give someone ostrich jerky for a treat if that's what what they might like for Christmas. But also, um, they happen to have ostrich leather wallets, which are really beautiful, too. So I, I highly recommend doing some holiday shopping at the market while you're out there shopping for your food. Wow, well, if anybody that knows me is listening, put that ostrich leather wallet on my list. (laughs) We'll let Santa know. Yeah, absolutely. So what about events? Uh, Any good events going down in in the coming days before the holidays? Yeah, so we have, all fall we've been putting together our Educated Eater uh, panel discussion series, and the third installation, third and final installation, is going to take place next Thursday at Jimmy's number 43. It's December 6th. And it's from 6.30 to 8 in the evening, and it will be a discussion about the distribution of local wholesale product, which is um, sort of, it's very hard to distribute food on the the wholesale scale, uh, particularly for local farmers in this city. And so we're going to be talking to a farmer who grows wholesale products, Chef Mike Anthony from Gramercy Tavern, uh, Olivia Blanchflower, who runs uh, Grow and Ricey's Green Market Co-Program, which is our wholesale distribution service that we just started this year, and also the chef from uh, Lenox Hill Neighborhood House, which is um, a shelter, and they provide meals, um, and they have also been able to, through Green Market Co., start sourcing some of the food that they serve uh, locally, which is, is really great. So I encourage anyone who's interested in the topic of distribution and, and how to get wholesale product if you're a chef and that's something you'd like to incorporate more local food in your menu, definitely come to Jimmy's and afterwards we can um, all have a beer together. Very cool. So that's, uh, I think it's December 6th at 6.30 to 8 p.m. And where can people RSVP? They can RSVP through our website or by emailing events at greenmarket.grownyc.org. Great. So pink lady apples for applesauce, lots of good holiday gifts, cabbage, all great things for the winter. Jean, thanks so much, and we will see you next week. If you guys want more information on farmers or the market or volunteer opportunities, visit grownyc.org or follow them at Union Square Green Market, that's U-N-S-Q Green Market, and NYC Green Markets on Twitter. So we'll talk to you next week, Jean. Thanks. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.